Shout out to Pastor Craig and Pastor Gabe the week before. Man, those guys, did they not do a wonderful job? I tell you what, I, I clearly remember, so I didn't see Saturday night service last week. I was doing a wedding in Fort Collins, um, but Sunday I was able to be here and I heard Pastor Craig teach and my thought was, I can't let him teach too much <laughs> because he sets a bar kind of high. I don't have any props. I don't have, I don't have cool illustrations. Um, frankly, I don't have the energy that he has, so, you know. He is, he is truly a gifted teacher, and, uh, and Gabe, the week before, when she teaches, man, I just feel it straight from her heart, and, and she loves to speak what God puts on her heart. So thank you guys for, for doing that. We are blessed to be able to have several good teachers in this church. For a church our size, to be able to have so many good teachers, it's just an amazing thing. So let's get into the message really quick. I don't want to take uh, too long with all this stuff, but again, we're going through uh, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew. It's chapters 5 through 7. You know, we've been in this. This is week 17 that we've been in Sermon on the Mount. Can you believe it? When I first started, I remember Pastor Jonathan Stumbo and I were talking about, you know, where we we're going to do. And I said, we're, I think we're going to go through Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's where I feel that we're led. And we started talking about this. And he goes, man, I don't know. Is there enough material in there to go for that length of time? I went, dude, we could teach on that for the rest of the year. But a lot of churches take the entire Sermon on the Mount and they'll condense it into like three or four week series, right? And that's okay, but I think there's so much more meat to it and that's that I'm just blessed to be able to get into it right now. But for the last 16 weeks, we've listened as Jesus set the bar pretty high, right? He's talking, you picture Jesus talking to these people um, who have gathered around him on the you know, the other thing I'm going to do is I'm going to start moving around because I realized I always stand up there and I don't have to do that because we don't have a camera. And I'm thankful that we don't have a camera in times like this, right? You can't tell how I'm dressed. So you figure, picture, picture you guys are listening and I, in no way do I equate to Jesus, but picture you're listening to somebody. In this case, it's Jesus. And he's telling you, here's how you should live. Not only here's the things that you should do, Here's the things you should do for one another. You should fast. You should pray. You should give. He's telling you these things that you should do. And then he's telling you, here's how you should feel about those things that you should do. You should have a good heart. You should do it as unto the Lord. You should do it in secret so that nobody else can see. You should do it not for man's approval, but for God's approval. And he goes on and on and on. And so, again, for the last 16 weeks, we've heard Jesus talk about Here's what you should do, and here's how you should do it, and here's how your heart should feel when you do it. That's pretty hard. And so I picture in my mind when I was studying this out, I picture Jesus starting to watch his crowd. Okay, any good speaker kind of watches his crowd, and he, he sort of plays to the audience, if you will. And if you see people starting to check their watches, I don't know if they had watches, maybe sundials. People are checking their sundials <laughs> back then. What time is it? I got a, I got a brunch to get to. I don't know if they were doing that or not, but I can really easily connect with Jesus saying, or saying to himself, these guys are all looking at me like, how do I do this? How can I possibly live up to these kind of expectations that you're telling me? It all makes sense. I get it. It, it really makes sense. You're really connecting with my heart, but how do I have any hope of doing this? 
Because in one breath, you tell us to do these things, how to pray and how to give and how to fast and all this, but then you're very careful to say, don't do it like the Pharisees do it. Because the Pharisees follow the rules. They've got the Bible and they see it as a rule book. And they go down, here's exactly how I should do these things, right? And they're following the letter of the law. So Jesus is saying, don't do that, but be sure you do it right. And so I can see them sitting there saying, uh, where do we go with this? Okay, so I think, I think that's the mindset that his audience is in when Jesus gets to this point. And so where we're going to go from here is we're going to go into the section, Matthew 7, 7 through 12. It's, it's kind of subtitled, Ask, Seek, Knock. And so I'm going to come down here because I can only see it better. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. That last verse, verse 12, this one right here doesn't seem like it necessarily fits with the other stuff, does it? But, and we'll talk about this later, when you see a word such as, therefore, or, but I say to you, you have to then look at everything that leads up to it. Everything that he had been saying up to that point culminates in this. So if you listen to a to a message, you go to, you're watching an infomercial or something, and they're bombarding you with all this information. At the very end, they say, so, right now, pick up the phone and call 1-800. There's always, uh, so here's what you do, okay? For any good message, you have that kind of action thing at the end. So Jesus is teaching. He's been teaching all this time, and he gets to this point. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets, so now we need to go back and look at a couple things. The first thing we need to look at, I think, is what is it? What is it? Can we put the first part back up there again? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. You will find it. Knock and it will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. So what is it? What is the it that he's talking about? Is the it a Ferrari? Who would love to have a Ferrari? Okay. Percy would rather have an airplane. Okay. But a Ferrari will do in a pinch. Who would like a bank account with a few more zeros in it? Okay. Who would like a bigger house? Nicer house. Bigger yard. Who would like those kinds of things? Okay, that can be it, but I'm not really sure that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, it will be given to you. So, George, if, if I said Jesus is standing right here next to you and he will give you the one thing that you ask for, if you ask for it, what would you ask for? What would be your thing? Health. 
Health. You would ask for health. Okay, Rachel, what would you ask for? Direction. What? Direction. Okay. Direction. That's a good one. Emily? Wisdom. Wisdom. You're reading my notes, right? <laughs> How about somebody that wants something worldly? Like Marcus. Nicer house. <laughs> a nicer house. Okay. Okay, JB? Um, you did not expect me to be standing in your face, did you, right now? A new, a new iPad and a laptop that's up to date. A new iPad and an up-to-date laptop. All right. Those are all good answers. But do they, do they fit in what Jesus is talking about here in his definition of when he says it? So let me ask you, so if you had, if the Lord gave you a Ferrari, if it just showed up in your driveway, could you handle it without killing yourself, without getting speeding tickets, without crashing? What if he gave you a mansion? Those who wanted a bigger house or a bigger yard, what if he gave you a mansion with 40 acres? Could you take care of it? Could you keep it clean? Could you mow the lawn if it had 40 acres? Could we take care of those things? What about a fat bank account? How many people have you heard of or have we heard of that win the lottery only to be completely bankrupt five years later or two or one because they get in over their heads buying things, they can't pay the taxes on it and so the houses are repossessed and it, it more often than not, lottery winners end up broke. It's just a fact of how it works. God's not going to bless you in something that's going to ultimately hurt you. He's not going to do that. Let me tell you a story. I call this, I call it a parable, and I name it two boys and their swords. Okay. The two boys happen to be my two boys. At the time, my boys were four, well, at, at the beginning of the story, my boys were four and five. Four and five years old, we go to the Renaissance Festival down in, uh, down in Larkspur. We go down there. They fall in love with the old medieval knights and the swords, and, and they love the way that all looks. And so they're begging, like, can we, can we get some swords? Can we get some swords? I'm like, I'm not going to buy you swords. You're four and five. I'm not going to buy you swords. But they begged me, and they begged me, and they begged me. And finally, we found this little vendor that sold these little wooden toy swords, right? Okay. So I bought that for them. They loved them. They beat these things and each other <laughs> to a pulp. Seriously. These things were well-made. They're not the ones that break by the time you get home. Okay? These things, they were like double backhand, full broadsword swipes at each other. They actually got pretty good at it. Fast forward two years. We're in, as a family, we go down to uh, Mexico. Go down to Tijuana, as a matter of We were in San Diego, and we said, let's, let's go to Mexico just because we can. It's right here. So we go into Tijuana. And the two boys and my, and my daughter are here, and, and Gabe and I are there. And we're walking around. And we go into this little gift store. Okay, we're looking at, they have the maracas and they have the little frogs that are nailed to a log. Uh, I don't even know what that's about. Anybody understand that? The three frogs playing guitars that are, yeah, me neither. 
You don't even know what I'm talking about, but trust me, you're going to Google that later and you're going to go, oh, that's weird. But all right. So we go into the store and we're looking around and I'm, it's Tijuana. Okay. So it's been cleaned up a lot since then, but back then it wasn't the safest place. So we go into the store and I'm like, okay, there's only one entrance to this store and it's right behind me. I'm going to let the kids look around. And I'm going to tell them you can buy one gift, one souvenir that you want, whatever you want. Go, go find something, okay? So they're looking. I'm, I get tied up looking at the three frogs nailed on a piece of wood, and I'm trying to figure that out. And I start hearing clang, 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 clang. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that's sort of annoying. And I'm not really paying attention, and I hear it again, clang, clang, clang. It's like, what is, boys, what are you, are you guys? So I walk to the back of the store, okay, and I look, and I, and I see the two boys standing there, each one having found a four-foot-long broadsword, okay? And they are, okay, they're like, I may get their ages wrong by a year, but they're like six and seven years old. They are doing full, double-handed roundhouse swings at each other and hacking at the legs, and they are full-on fighting in the back of the store, Okay. So, like any parent, okay, my first thought is, they're going to kill each other. My second thought is, okay, I'm sure they're just display swords, so, you know, they're not, they're not sharp, you know, they're just, they're for, for playing with. The worst case, they might, you know, poke each other or something like that. So I walk back, and I'm like, boys, okay, take them, you're not getting those swords. To which they're, of course, oh, but come on, we're having so much fun. There's a whole, the bottom shelf, there's probably 30 swords, and they're just, like, thrown in the shelf. And so I'm still thinking, okay, these are just little, it'll, you know, you're supposed to put them up on the wall for displays. So I grab the swords away from the boys, cut my finger on one of them, and then I start looking. These things are razor sharp. Like, not just kind of, sort of sharp, like razor sharp. Like, if any one of those broad hands, you know, full-on backhands would have connected, there'd be a head rolling in the aisles. Even then, though, my boys are like, oh, come on, we'll be careful. <laughs> like, it's only by God's grace that we're leaving here with all of our limbs. That's an example of not getting something that you want because it's bad for you. How many times do we ask for things that we think we want, we think would be good for us, and we don't get them? And the first thing that crosses our mind is, oh, God, you're so mean. Or in the case of, say, healing that doesn't happen right away. Help with our bills that doesn't come through when we think it should come through. We think, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about my little problems. But the fact is, God cares about our problems. He cares about everything you go through. He cares about every tear you shed, every prayer you lift up to him, he cares about. And it's his grace and mercy that he doesn't automatically fill every single one of our requests. Because we don't always know what's good for us, but he does, he does. So here's a hint as we go into the message, what it is. It's a little bit more of a hint. I think I'm going to tell you what I think it is. 
I think that if we ask for things that is in God's nature to give us, in other words, things that he has already promised us that he wants for us, if we ask for those things, his answer is going to be absolutely. And it's not that he explicitly said, I'm going to give you a Ferrari, I'm going to give you a new pickup truck, I'm going to give you uh, another zero in your bank account. But it's what we do with it. Jesus has been teaching about it's not necessarily what you do or what you say or how you act, but it's what's in your heart. And so if you want another zero in your bank account so that you can go buy something really cool or just have a comfort of having more money in your bank account or you've always wanted to be a millionaire, so I want, in my case, four more zeros in my bank account, whatever it is, if your ultimate goal for that is to bless someone else or to use it for the way that God has called you to use it, then I think he's saying, yes, that lines up with my promises. That lines up with what I want from you. And we're much more likely to see those things come to fruition. It may not look the way we think it's going to look, though. God hears our every prayer. We don't have to pray it over and over and over again, just hoping that one time he's going to go, oh, okay, I hear you now. I didn't hear you the other 30 times. It's not a matter of him not knowing. But as we'll see a little bit later, he does want us to continue and to persist in those prayers, continue to ask him for things. But we have to be aware that it's not always going to look the way that we think it should look. In fact, the promises in the Bible, if we go back to thinking, if we ask for those things that are in God's character to give us, and the things that he's already promised us to do, there's a scholar who's gone through and he has counted. Now, I'm not talking, there are people who say every, every single verse, every single line, every single word in the Bible is a promise from God. You can look at it that way. But in terms of explicit promises, I will do this, you will have this, you will receive this. There are 7,487 promises, explicit promises made by God to man. That's a lot of promises. If you were to claim just one of those promises a day, it would take you 20, a little over 20 years to run through every one of those promises. And they don't expire when he grants one, right? Once you, once you live up to one promise, it doesn't expire. There's an endless supply of promises. Here are some of the promises, okay? 7,487 explicit promises. I'm just going to read you a handful. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How about this one? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. How about this one? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Or, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Here's one from Jesus. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. Or here's another one. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, 
walk in it. If we're listening and we're seeking God's voice, it'd be pretty hard to get lost. There's those and there's 7,481 more, which for time's sake, I'm not going to go into all those. Read the Bible. They're all in there. They're all in there. In fact, I think that a lot of times the best way to understand Scripture when you read it like this is to look at it in context of other Scriptures. Especially when you're looking at the Gospels, the accounts of different things that happen, different teachings in the Gospels are often echoed in other places through different, different apostles, different disciples, different places that you hear those things come up. And it's helpful, I think, to read some different accounts of the same teaching to get a little bit of a better grasp. And so I want to do that. So like in, in Luke chapter 11, this very same account, the, the very same scripture of teaching is titled the parable of the good father. So Luke considers that to be all about the goodness of God and the father heart of God. And he focuses on the part where it says, no, no good father is going to give you a snake when you ask for a fish. So he's focusing on God's good heart and that's good. And that may be it. But what if he didn't have that kind of an example as a father? What if your dad was the kind of guy who would give you a snake if you asked for a fish? There are so many examples in the Bible that are based on the relationship of a father and a child. That if we didn't have that relationship, that proper father-child relationship here... We have a hard time grasping that concept. So that, that may not resonate with you. So we go into Mark's account, Mark 11, 24 to 25. I don't have it on the screen, but just listen. It says, therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. And if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. So if you read that, you think Mark is focusing on the prayer aspect. Ask and just and believe that you have already received. So you read that and you go, okay, so this is all about prayer then. But what about those who have lifted their earnest, heartfelt, and sometimes painful prayers up to God? And have not seen them answered in a way that they can comprehend. So as far as you know, I have been praying and praying and praying that God would fix this or do this or heal this. And he hasn't. So in that context, you look at this scripture from Matthew and it doesn't really resonate. Ask and it will be given to you. I've been asking for a long time and it hasn't been given to me. So you can start being a little skeptical about that teaching then. In James, James chapter 1, 5 through 8 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect to receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
So that makes it really clear that it's about faith. Like, okay, so I just have to have faith that these things are going to happen for me, and they will. But what if your faith has been shaken to the core? What if you're in a place where you've done everything you felt like God was asking you to do, and things are still not turning out the way that we think the Bible promises us that they'll turn out. We still have sickness. We've still lost a loved one. We've still had a marriage fail. We've still had, we've still been evicted from our house or whatever these things are that we think, I've been, I've been praying and expecting and, and, and I've, I've had complete faith that this will happen right up until the day that the moving truck pulled up to my door or I came home and found all my stuff out on the lawn because I've been evicted right up until the day I lost my loved one to a sickness. It's really easy to have your faith shaken at that point. So you look at a scripture like that and you go, I don't know. I don't know if it's just about having faith because I have faith and I didn't see it happen. 1 John 3, 21 to 22 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So it's about doing things that are pleasing to God. We may be onto something now. Maybe it's all about doing things that are pleasing to God. Let's take a look at the individual scriptures. Let's pull up Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Asking is, where it says ask and it will be given to you, asking is a sign of humility. Is there anything that's harder than going to a friend or a family member and asking them for something? I'm not talking like, can you hand me the butter? I'm talking going to a family member and saying, I'm $200 short on my mortgage this month. Can you help? We would rather turn to complete strangers than to ask a family member. It takes humility to, number one, admit that we can't do it on our own, but then secondly, to actually make the step and ask. So Jesus is saying, first of all, Be humble enough to ask. You have to be humble enough to ask because you're not going to get it on your own. Seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. Pastor Gabe two weeks ago taught about seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. Seeking is an active, it's active. It's not passive. You can't sit in a chair and pray and seek. Okay? You can't. Seeking is an active thing. You have to actually go out and do it. And the last one, knock and it will be open to you. This is actually a nod to Jewish tradition, which actually still, still pretty much consi- uh, persists to this day, talking about the gates of heaven. Jewish tradition talks a lot about, especially in the times of Jesus, about the gates of heaven, to where the gates of heaven literally were, and we hear about pearly gates and things. These are kind of carryovers from that tradition. But you had to petition the gates of heaven 
in a precise and exact orderly way for them to be opened and then the blessings of God would come down on you. So if you weren't receiving the blessings of God, it was because you weren't doing it right. So you can see how the Pharisees and the Sadducees would just have a field day with this, right? And they would persist that, that notion that you had to do it right. And if you weren't getting God's blessings, it's your fault because you're not doing it right. So that's where that reference comes from. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. <clears throat> Next section, Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? That's kind of a funny verse, talking about snakes and snakes and fish. I don't think that this verse is made to make us feel bad. When Jesus, when he explicitly says, if you then, being evil. So what if I was down here talking to you and I said, so, Tom, you're a pretty evil guy. How would you treat your children? It'd be kind of hard to take that anyway other than negative, right? And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, so, you're all evil. But even at that, you know how to give good gifts to your children, right? If your children asks for a loaf, you're not going to give them a stone as a, as a joke. Like, ha ha, here it is. I'm hungry. Here's a baked potato. It looks just like a stone. You're not going to do that. Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father is who, in heaven, who is in heaven give what is good? God's not going to give you something that appears to be good. He's not going to trick you by giving you a snake and saying, hey, here's your fish. What this literally means is that God is not going to dress something up that looks shiny and nice and good for you and maybe even what you've asked for that's going to hurt you. He's not going to do that. So literally, if you ask for a pet snake... He may not give you a pet snake. He may give you a fish because he knows you need to eat. That's God's father heart. And if we understand that, then this scripture starts to make sense to us. Next section, Matthew seven twelve, wraps up this whole thing. Wraps up this whole section here. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is, this is the law and the prophets. That's really good. That's no, who knows what that's called? I didn't say this earlier. Did I? The golden rule. Wise men from Gandhi to Buddha to even way before Christ were quoting some versions of this. Here's one thing that's interesting, though. When you look up the previous versions of this, the previous um, citations of this concept. Jesus here is making this a positive thing. In everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. 
That's a good thing. That's a positive spin. I want to be treated well. I'm going to treat you well. I want people to ask me how my day was. I'm going to ask you how your day was. Most of the other versions, in fact, all of them that I could find, are negative. Do not throw stones at your neighbor if you do not wish him to throw stones at you. It's all some version of a negative thought, but Jesus says it's not, it's not about just give and receive. It's not about reciprocal power here. It's about your heart. Treat people well if you want them to treat you well. That's what Jesus is talking about here, the golden rule. And again, when he says, for this is the law and the prophets. I love when he does that because he's tying up this whole section, all these previous weeks on how we should live, how we should do, how we should think. Do this, but don't just do this. Think about this the right way when you do this or it's not good for anything. Therefore, treat people the same way. And then he says, this is the law and the prophets. When he says that, he's jumping back to a section that, that is to come in Matthew, at least as, as far as the book goes. But Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 to 40, let's put it up on the screen there. Again, remember, book of Matthew is not chronological in its order. But Jesus is being asked, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Going back, the whole law and the prophets, here's what it boils down to, church. The only way that we can hope to reflect Jesus and uphold his commandments is to live a prayerful life seeking his word and seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit in our every action and every word that comes out of our mouth, lifting every thought that we have up to him before we express that thought. The word says, take your thoughts captive. I look at that as a quarantine room. I picture my mind as having a little quarantine area over here. And when a thought comes in, I try to direct that thought over into the quarantine room so I can look at it before it finds its way out of my mouth. I'm not always successful with that. Some of you have been, have been privy to my lack of success in always filtering things that I say, but I try. But I try. And in this era of digital communications and Instagram and texts and Facebook posts, it is so easy to remove that filter, to remove that quarantine room, and to fail to take any thought captive. Whatever pops into our head, bam, I'm tweeting that. How much damage has been done by just innocent comments? Innocent comments that we make that we don't filter, we don't think for a moment about how someone else could perceive this or how someone else could be hurt by this. And we certainly don't filter it in, is this showing love to my neighbors? Is this glorifying God in what I'm doing? Or am I just ranting because I don't like the current political situation or the health care or whatever it is? It breaks my heart how many 
how many people, I know they're good people, and I know that they are, quote, good Christians, but I see them post things on Facebook, and it starts out with, okay, rant alert, as if telling you ahead of time that they're going to rant about something is an excuse. Okay, my heart's in the right place. I'm really, I'm really good. I'm really trying to glorify God, but let me rant for a moment. That's not glorifying God, and that's not where he wants our attentions to go. So the question, let's go back to the question because I'm at my time limit here. The question, or the answer to the question, what is it? It is every single one of the 7,487 promises that God makes in this book to you. They're all for you. They may not be all for you today, but they were all put there for you. And they're all promises. They're given to us so that we can glorify God through our love for his creation. That's what we're to use them for. We pray for a gift. We pray for one of those it's, whether it's wisdom or health. It's not just for us. George, you prayed, you said health is one of the things that you wanted to pray for. Health is a wonderful thing to pray for. But why do we want to be healthy? We want to be healthy so that we can go do what God has called us to do in the kingdom. We can go visit other people in the hospital. We can help people do things. We can show up at church and we can fellowship with the body. We can be a part of things if we're healthy. If we just want to be healthy so that we can just go, hey, I feel great. I'm going to sit at home and just feel great. Why would we even bother praying for health? We should be praying at that point, Father, take me home. I don't want to participate in what's going on here. Just take me home. Everything that we pray for ought to be with a thought, how does this glorify God? How can he use me and this gift that I'm praying for in the kingdom? Now, that's not to say we can't pray for things for ourselves. God wants to bless us, so don't get me wrong. But again, he wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. If you want a bigger house, if you want 40 acres, maybe you pray for that 40 acres in that bigger house so that you can do a group home for victims of sex trafficking. Maybe that's why you want a big home and lots of property. Those of you who were here last week and saw that movie, that happens. But if you want 40 acres in a nice home because you grew up as a kid watching Dallas and always wanted to live like that, don't be surprised if you don't see that come to fruition. So I want to go ahead and call up the worship team. Just remember, church, we are not to be the final recipient of the blessings and the gifts that God gives us. God wants to bless us and wants to gift us things. He wants us to ask, seek, knock, and he will give. But we are not the final destination of those gifts. We are stewards of them. We are stewards of those blessings, and our job ought to be, I want to find a way to pay this blessing on. God has blessed me with this wonderful house. How can I use it in the kingdom? That's where our heart should be. If that's where your heart is, whether you're praying for extra zeros or a Ferrari or an airplane or health or whatever it is, God looks down at you and says, I love that. That's what I've promised. 
I will help you with that. Don't take that to mean if your prayers aren't fulfilled when you pray them the way you think they ought to be prayed, that he's not caring and that he's not paying attention. He may be simply saying to you, I hear that, and I want to bless you with that, but you're going to have to wait a little bit because it's going to be so much better than you think. God never gives us a snake when we ask for a fish or a stone when we ask for a loaf. He'll give us what we ask for or he'll give us better. Sometimes better in our minds, in our fleshly mind, looks worse from our viewpoint. But from God's standpoint, he knows. We have to trust his father heart. We have to trust that everything that he does is for our good. We have to trust that because it's here in the word explicitly promised to us. And so if you're sitting here and you're struggling with that, you're like, I just don't know. As you said, what if I didn't have that kind of a father example? Or what if I don't feel like I have that kind of faith? What if I've been praying and I haven't seen them answered? There's only one person that can answer all those what ifs for you, and that's God. And the Lord promises us that if you pray to him, he will answer you. So as our response right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this first song, and I want you to lift those things, those things where you haven't seen answered prayers, where you have asked, you have prayed, you have knocked, you have sought, and you haven't seen what you were hoping to see. I want you to take a moment and talk to God right now. Remember, prayer is just simply talking to God. Take a moment and talk to God right now and ask him about those. God, I prayed for this and I didn't see it. What's up with that? You don't have to have the right language. Just ask him. Talk to him. Listen to what he says because there's nothing I can say that's going to answer all those questions for you, but he can and he will. After that first song, we'll give you a prompt and then you can get up and start moving around and taking communion. I've asked uh, Pastor Craig and Leah to serve communion up here. They'll have the wine and the bread and then, of course, we've always got self-serve. We have, in a time like this where I've been talking about prayer, sometimes it's difficult. Like, I don't even know really how to do that. We have a prayer team in the back who would love to pray with you, get you started. Maybe you just need somebody to come alongside you and help jumpstart the pump and get, get you started on how to pray or agree with you on the things that you're lifting up to God. They're back there for you. But let's pay attention. Before we start thinking, God doesn't love us the way he said. He doesn't promise the things that he says he does. Let's seek him and ask why. I promise you it's just our perspective because he is a good father and his heart is to bless you. Amen? So Father, I just pray right now that you would speak to your people right here tonight. Lord, there are people here who are hurting. There are people here who hear a message like that and they say, yeah, I've been praying and I haven't seen it. I'm done praying. There are people who are so hurt that they're in the place where they no longer even want to talk to you because they're afraid of another disappointment. 
So Father, I just pray right now that you speak to your children as they sit right here. Father, let them know. Let them know that you are a good father and you are not, you are not unaware of their hurts and their fears and their dreams and their hopes and their needs, but that you are there for them and you will bless them. Father, give them that supernatural peace and knowing that you are everywhere and you are here. You are here with us today. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Promise to 
Shipping, but if you need to receive prayer, if you want to take communion, we ask that you feel free to move around and do what, what God's leading you to do as we just continue to worship and lift up. Oh, 
Jesus, you are the light in my life, God. You make all things right. And God, I declare right now that if there is air in our lungs and that our heart is breathing, then whatever we are hoping for and praying for, it is still possible in your name. As long as we can stand when it's all that we have left to do, we stand, God. We stand on your promises. We stand on your word. We stand on your grace. And we say we trust you, Father. Whatever the circumstance, we trust you. However hard, we trust you. Show me 
天。